All right, guys, we are back for another ship chasing mini-sode. We are back at our computers, so uh, better audio, better visuals. Pat will be hopping on with us in a second. We are going to be on the clock here in the fifth round in a sec, and we'll be you know, debating with Pat some options, but circling back with Gretch because uh, Gretch wasn't here for our Marquise Brown pick, but Gretch, how are you feeling about this interesting team so far, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, T. Higgins, and Marquise Brown through four. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really liking it. I mean, it was a little bit of a bummer to lose uh, AJ Brown in the third. I think we we talked through some reasons we would have probably preferred Brown there. Maybe not as excited about stacking Chase and Higgins in this format as you might be in in like best ball or something. Um, and so Brown was was a target force of three. Uh, Marquise Brown in round four was a, was an exciting pick. I mean, either of our picks were good. I really like uh, Deontay Johnson as well, but very comfortable going with uh, Marquise Brown. Deontay ended up going at like four twelve. We're I, I, I'm always very comfortable with the zero RB build. I, you know, we're starting to head now back to uh, our fifth round pick, and all the top options are our receivers, which you guys talked about on the last mini so. Yeah. And, you know, the, I think the big thing with the Chase and Higgins now is, you know, kind of what we do at quarterback. I know all of us prefer getting one of those elite quarterbacks. We obviously have some very viable stacking candidates as uh, Pat enters here. Pat, we just uh, started talking here. But I think one of the interesting things, and Chris G had actually just posted in the chat in the Ship Chasing Discord that um, he's seen a wide range of ADP for Burrow. He said he went at 7-6 in one draft and 9-12 in another. Um, but the Kyler kind of setup is pretty nice too because Kyler went 7-2 in 8-4. So, you know, that that eighth round spot for a quarterback is, is starting to look kind of nice knowing like, oh, maybe Kyler slips or maybe we just lock up burrow there but i don't know how are you guys thinking about quarterback as we kind of head into what looks to be another wide receiver selection i i mean i i'm a, i'm way higher on kyler than bro and i'm excited about the potential yeah. to get kyler we were talking about how we don't feel like we have to force burrow uh certainly the quarterback is the least important part of that stack we still get some of that element of you know if this offense goes great we, we still get the two important pieces of that we get chasing higgins going great Burrow can be covered by Kyler, frankly. And there's a lot of scenarios where both of these offenses go well, and we're kind of betting on that as well with our Marquise Brown pick. At the same time, I think this element of like the QB is the least important part of the stack type thinking is a little bit relative to the situation. And when when we're talking about the, the Bengals specifically, we're talking about picking both Chase and Higgins. We're talking about the offensive line being better. We're talking about this team continuing to get better. Um, they improve their defense a little bit. But being – potentially a more pass heavy team as well. Like the Bengals outcome, I think, or I think their positive outcome for their passing game includes basically them saying, look, to keep up with the chiefs and the bills in the AFC, we got to be as pass heavy as these teams. We have to, you know, our pass rate over expected needs to be pushing 10% like those guys are. If that happens, that's great for us with Chase and Higgins. It also means Burrow's probably throwing for, you know, five close to 5,000 yards and 40 TDs in that scenario. And I think this is one where, I don't want to reach for Burrow, but as soon as I have both Chase and Higgins, I, I I do think you kind of want to be bringing Burrow along, right? If this goes well in any kind of way, I feel like Burrow's having a really, really strong year. Like in the MVP discussion type of year. Yeah, and especially over a three-week period, right? If we're going to take down the main event, we need Chase right. and Higgins to go off in a way At that... At least four TDs combined. Yeah. 
Because we, I mean, that we were talking on the last episode about you know the upside isn't quite as high with uh, Higgins as it is with AJ Brown with this build because the chances of of Higgins and Chase going nuclear together isn't super super high, but it, it, it does exist. And in that scenario, Burrow's like the quarterback one that week pretty mm-hmm. easily. So um, I agree. I think having Chase and Higgins makes makes Burrow more of a priority. It's a little unfortunate that like the way the ADP lines up, we'll have to make a decision on Burrow in the eighth with no real good backup behind him if we wanted to push it to try to get him in the ninth. So, um, you know, we'll, like Kyler will already have been gone. If we end up with Bateman here, Lamar Jackson would obviously already be gone as well. So uh, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to kind of cross that bridge when we come to it. And one other thing to kind of think about, and I noticed this play out way more in underdog drafts where people are really prioritizing stacking, but there is often a dynamic when you end up with Chase and Higgins. It's not like the mix-in owner is going out of his way to stack. So a lot of times you can get Burrow to drop because you are the most likely candidate to want Burrow. And it's not like there's a third wide receiver, you know, pushing up there. Boyd isn't already gone and someone could justify a stack there. So it's kind of also trying to feel out the room. We have seen in recent years, people prioritize stacking in season long a little bit more. You see Bitcoin here from the two hole did grab Justin Herbert with Keenan Allen, but then you also see stuff like team nine here that just kind of took a unstacked Josh Allen, you know, getting that elite quarterback. So it can be a little game of chicken here because I don't think, you know, a room on the whole is just going to be like, I'm passing on Joe Burrow because I don't have one of Chase or Higgins. So we're going to have to kind of feel that out. Mm-hmm. I would I would anticipate the priority here being on ADP value rather than yeah. stacking. So once Burrow gets a few picks past ADP, it starts to become a concern that someone just might scoop it. Right. I I, yep. I guess I'm very comfortable taking Kyler. Like I said, I, I guess I don't want to wind up in a scenario where we get neither because getting Kyler with Marquise Brown is definitely a way to play this team without getting Burrow. I'd be very comfortable with that. There's not a lot of other ways I'd like to play this team without having Burrow as a QB. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, well yep. I'll go ahead. I mean, we, we have a decision to make here with Gabe Davis and Bateman potentially, although we, we're we not on the clock yet. So um, maybe the Dobbins owner grabs Bateman or something and, and decides for us. But if we end up with Bateman, that would open up another possibility up for an elite quarterback. Yeah. And it's again, that's something I like to do a lot in the best ball contest is I I definitely break ties in favor of, you know, more outs for stacking. Um, So yeah, let's, let's get into it here. Let's table the the quarterback conversation um, because we are going to be selecting a receiver here. This is a really nice pocket of the draft for receiver. Um, You've heard us mention Gabe Davis and Bateman. I think that's who we're honing in on, but DK Metcalf also available. Jerry Judy also available. I think those guys are strong selections as well, but it seems like we're all in agreement. This is a wide receiver pick for sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, the, the the like you're you're squarely in the dead zone with backs like Jacobs, Gibson, Elijah Mitchell. I think you can make cases for taking shots on guys like Gibson and Elijah Mitchell, but uh, typically those are dead zone type backs where we've actually seen them produce to a certain level, and the, and yet back, drafters are still not buying in. The ones that you do want to target the dead zone tend to be the ones that are like have the chance to be first time stars, like ETN was earlier. He's not really dead zone anymore, but like yeah. So looking at most of these backs, I'm like. 
you know, AJ Dillon goes a little bit behind them. He's a guy who could do something this year that we haven't seen from him yet. And that's maybe what, why drafters are a little skeptical. The other backs that we have to pick from there, they just look like the types of backs that have been dead zone backs in the past that uh, the hit rate is very, very low on. So I'm like intrigued by that, but there's no way I would take any of them over the receivers. Yeah. I've taken a, a fair amount of Elijah Mitchell in best ball, but it's, you know, usually at least around later than this, if not two. So, and we can look at this room and we mentioned Bitcoin here. He has a, a true zero RB build going here with just four wide receivers, one quarterback. Um, but the, for the most part, uh, for everyone watching this, the YouTube members seeing this, the board up here, like all these other drafters are prioritizing running backs. You know, we, we see David Montgomery go in the third round, ETN go in the third round. Um, this is a pretty running back hungry room. And I do feel like this is where you can start to punish some of the early running back drafters because we're going to keep hammering wide receiver. Yeah. They're going to, you know, be like, ah, Antonio Gibson does look pretty nice here. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is where we can really compound our advantage. Let's let's hone in on the conversation here. The two names we've really zeroed in on are Gabriel Davis and Rashad Bateman. I am shocked. Uh, Pat being one of the uh, the original hardcore Bateman truthers that uh, that I am on Bateman Island here. But why don't you guys first make your case for Gabe Davis and just for the love of God, don't bring up the week 17 matchup with the Bengals. <laughs> well it is i mean we were we were uh obviously so bateman i love bateman um i think he's you know in line for a huge increase in his role obviously with marquise brown out of town uh i do think with bateman you have like a very small concern that they could bring in another receiver i think they're they're one of the candidates to bring in uh julio or or will fuller um, which I don't, I mean, as a, as a guy who really likes Bateman, I would hardly make me like off him, but from an ADP value perspective, it would certainly open up opportunities to get him at a better price later. Um, and then, yeah, the Bengals do play, uh, the bills in week 17, which would be kind of a fun sweat if we're about to take down the main, but I think for Gabe Davis, it's that, um, he, yeah, he hasn't like really done it yet, but he's a day three pick. As a rookie, he got on the field right away, had a had a big role, wasn't bad, wasn't amazing, but but was like decently efficient, actually a little bit more efficient yards per hour run than Bateman was last season. And then last year, including the playoffs, he was he had a yards per hour run over two in his second year, playing with Josh Allen, now entering the season. Kind of like I guess Twitter has been sort of loudly arguing about Gabe Davis, but I still feel like not like are we fully like internalizing the fact that in his third season, he really has no competition for the secondary outside role in this offense. It's also interesting reading the athletic and stuff. They're talking about maybe using more two tight end sets, and that would be a, a big concern for Crowder and, and McKenzie, who may be splitting that slot role. It would be awesome for Diggs and Davis if they're competing against like OJ Howard for for targets instead of Crowder or McKenzie. Um, Hayden Winks has done some good research showing yards per outrun spikes in two wide receiver sets compared to three. So um, I think that's that, like mildly interesting, but but also just like locks in the fact that like he is the number two option. He is the secondary outside wide receiver. Crowder's not going to be playing over him on the outside. I, I see it. That I was going to go there that I think you're a little too certain of that because they can just split Knox outside and put both receivers on the same side of the formation 
they've done that with Beasley before, I think. Like, maybe they didn't run a lot of two wide receiver sets, but he was for a stretch a guy that they were out like. If you're going to run two tight end sets, you think they're lining them up both in line, or are they splitting Knox out potentially? Is basically what I'm saying as a wide receiver. Yeah, Knox is getting split out into the slot probably. Into the slot, yeah. he doesn't split out like outside at all. I mean, I just I don't think that's like an exact thing in every snap. I think you're right, but and I'm on the Davis side as well. But that's probably not something that happens every single time where the slot guys just don't. Come yeah, maybe not every single time. Yeah, but I I think it's like maybe a little lost right now on people that like. Crowder's running with the second team. McKenzie right now is running with the first team. Like if you, I mean, they can't, it's so stupid the way the NFL does this, but like they're not allowed to just be like McKenzie's on the first team, Crowder's on the second team. But if you read the stuff, it's like Crowder's catching passes from Chad Henney. McKenzie's catching passes from, uh, from Josh Allen. The beats do think Crowder will pass McKenzie eventually. They're, they've been impressed with him. You know, Crowder's kind of the, the guy who, can beat zone coverage very easily, gets open underneath, you know, Crowder's Crowder. But it's like Crowder's not coming for Gabe Davis. He's still trying to earn a starting role in this right. offense. McKenzie's <clears throat> not coming for Gabe Davis either. So I just think the two tight end stuff for me is is kind of a way of also just like talking about how locked in Davis is as the number two. So the reason I'm coming at it a bit from the Bateman side, and you do bring up a good point that I wasn't really thinking through about how much Bateman's projection would change if they brought in a Julio or uh, a Fuller and, you know, some legit target competition, because that's really what I want to hang my hat on. I mean, I have been taking Gabe Davis ahead of Bateman uh, in best ball mania, just because of the uh, quintessential hashtag better in best ball, where I do think, Gabe Davis is going to have massive games. I just think he's going to be a little harder to know when to start. And I know we're going to be headed toward, uh, you know, seven, eight legit wide receiver build. And I just feel like the upside case for Bateman, where he emerges as the target hog in that offense, he's just going to be, you know, when we always talk about what are we trying to do with zero RB, we're trying to get, you know, seven, you know, top uh, 15 wide receivers or however many top 15 receivers. It feels like Bateman would be such an easy plug and play start that even in Davis's like high end outcomes that don't involve a digs injury, that he's still a little volatile from a week to week standpoint, not that I'm yeah. you know, running away from the volatility, but it just seems like if Bateman hits his high end range of outcomes, he's just such an easy plug and play start in the so, same way. Like DJ Moore has become that. I just did my projections for both these teams. And I would, this is, these are the exact type of players that I don't want to pay a lot of pot potential uh, attention to the projection sort of similar to the, the dead zone back stuff we we're talking about. Cause they're, they're guys that we're betting on to do something we haven't seen yet. It's very hard to capture that in a projection. I talked about this a lot with Sean on our recent Stealing Bananas. Uh, I made a comment about Rondell Moore where, like, I want to project him higher. Um, he asked me specifically, how can you get these upside stuff in the projections? I said it's really hard. Like, for both Bateman and Davis, the, the scenario we're talking about is probably that they beat the projection I have from them for by, like, 50%. And I can't bake that in, really. So mm -hmm. believe the fact that I have Davis projected about 20 points higher is not the reason I would make this case. The thing about my projections that I'm really interested in and I want to talk to you guys about is actually trying to, to drill down into what the Ravens will do from a pass perspective. And I actually should probably just share my screen here and show you guys my projections and their yeah. team level numbers, because it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. I think Pat did a really good job with the Gabe Davis bull case. And I, I agree with almost all of that, even though I was, um, 
kind of talking about that one two wide receiver set thing, but let me zoom in. This is the the Ravens team stuff in the middle here that I want to highlight. Can you guys even see this? Why is it not zooming? No, not here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now we're good. This stuff here. So first of all, 2021, their plays per game led the NFL. So that was part of the reason they threw so much more was that they ran a ton of plays. They they've been very fast paced before back in 2018. They they're not exactly a slow place team, but I do expect that comes down. I'm projecting it to come down to like 65.5, still well above league average. Their pass rate called pass rate. 63% 63% last year it was under 50% both the last two years. <laughs> I don't know where to put that, right? So then you look at their pass rate over expected. This is another really interesting thing. They're actually not like pass heavy relative to expectation because they only had an eight win season. They trailed a lot. Their Vegas total for this year is 9.5. And this is just a little linear regression I ran where their, their expected pass rate where last year it was up around 63%. At a 9.5 win total, would expect it to be more like 59 or 60%. And they weren't even positive in the PRE category. I think a lot of that was team level that pushed it. Their pace was team level. They're trailing. They were playing fast in a lot of these games. They were also a little bit slightly pass heavier in the games that Lamar missed. He missed five games last year. But you look at these PROEs, right, three years in a row, negative 6%, 7%, 10%. Those are very, very negative. I'm not saying, again, that I think for sure they're going to be negative, but I don't know where to put this pass rate. I ended up going with 58%, just slightly negative. But even just doing that, I ended up putting them back to a team that with Lamar's scramble rate and everything is basically 50-50 pass run. I have Dob, uh, Bateman at a 20% target share. I have him, I think, pretty comfortable because if you look at the, the stuff like targets per out run, yards per out run, Bateman, the other part of the Bateman concern, and I, I want to be on him for sure, is that he didn't have a great rookie year. Gabe Davis's rookie year was actually better, his rookie year. And then his second year was a big step forward in yards per out run for Davis. He looks closer from those perspectives to like a big breakout. I still think you want to be on that year two receiver. But with Bateman, it feels like a two-step. We got to get him playing better. And we got to get this pass rate stuff to where they don't regress too much. And I think because there's the play volume and the actual pass rate element, I'm pretty concerned about how much they're going to lose in terms of overall pass volume. And the other part of that that I would add as well is, look, uh, Josh Oliver was decent last year for them. Then they went out and they drafted two tight ends. This is their receiver room right now. And they went heavier on tight ends again. They've been very too tight and heavy in the past. They already have Nick Boyle coming back, and they still drafted two tight ends. You go over to their, their depth chart. And I'm looking at that. I'm going. I can't even name their fifth tight. I, I can't even name their fifth receiver as easily as I can name their fifth tight end right now. Like this is a team that looks like the old Ravens teams that were very tight end heavy, and looks like they want to get back to running the ball. You think about it from a team perspective, last year didn't go well for them, and the years before did. I think they probably are saying we want to get back to playing the way we played in 2020 and 2019. From a team perspective, it's. I don't want to be too in on team volume ever, but I think these numbers are really interesting, especially the play volume was one that really caught my eye. No, you guys, you're, you're definitely, you know, swaying me here too. And, and again, just thinking about, you know, it's the same thing with the best ball stuff. It's like our objective is to win a million dollars in this tournament. And just because, you know, Bateman could be averaging, you know, two to three more targets a game than Gabe Davis down the stretch and have a higher target floor. It doesn't change the fact that it's far more likely that Gabe Davis puts up a 40 burger 
weeks 15 through 17 when we're chasing a million than Bateman, who might get yeah. us a higher floor, but are the Ravens pass offense going to be able to support just an eruption? So that's yeah. a, that's a, where I wanted to go with landing that plane, sorry, was that you were talking about the volatility. The upside center for Bateman is a ton of targets, but if they don't throw as much as last year, which is going to be hard to do, a, a really high rate in a, in, a, in a ton of plays per game, um, Bateman, I think, is going to be volatile, too. Think of all the years of Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews being a lot more volatile until just last year, right? And he's still probably pretty clearly behind the injuries in a way where Marquise Brown for some for some time was maybe they were like the top two guys. I think you got to think that Andrews is probably their clear top option. I think Bateman's, even in a scenario where he's really good, if the team stuff does regress, and what I was trying to highlight is that it seems very likely to regress, that he's going to be volatile, too. And the, and the sheer pass volume for Davis, who I – the way other way I'd put it is from a personal perspective, I think I am projecting Bateman sort of closer to his ceiling. He can, he can definitely beat that 20% market share, but I didn't project Davis very high. But that, that's a team that looks very comfortably like they're going to throw enough that uh, there's room for him to beat his projection in, in, for me a lot more than, than there is for Bateman when I'm looking at it from those perspectives. Yeah, so, I have um... – Oh, go ahead. The the pass attempts I had for the Ravens, I think I had 529 pass attempts for the Ravens, which is, I think, what, seven less than you had. So, like, yeah. we're, we're in agreement on where I think the Ravens will go. And I was, you know, I've been pro Bateman despite the, the offensive, you know, low volume situation. But, but yeah, I think, I think it's regressing in the same way that you do. He's got to emerge as a target owner in a way he didn't really last season. Um, the Athletic had a good nugget you know, pointing out that his target per route run was quite a bit higher. It was 19% with Jackson last year to like 14 and a half percent with Huntley. Uh, so I think, you know, he's finally getting healthy. Jackson goes out, he has to deal with Huntley. And I think that really hurt his rookie season, but, but still generally like Bateman's rookie season, I, I think sets him up more for like a year three breakout. Like it's the type of year where you, in year two, he's, he looks good. And then going into year three, we're like, okay, this guy could this guy could break into being like a, a true wide receiver one, maybe in the same way like we're projecting for Michael Pittman or something like that. Like I think he's maybe on more like that trajectory. So then just kind of one, I mean, I, you guys have sold me on Davis over Bateman. Obviously, we have to see what this team four does here. But let's just say they take Davis – the only other name that, you know, kind of could fit similar criteria would be, would we consider Jerry Judy over Bateman or is Bateman still a really, really nice consolation prize for you guys? Here? Yeah. I I don't want to be out on Bateman for the second year stuff. I was actually kind of sharing that stuff, not to say that my opinion is like ingrained. I was kind of curious what you guys thought about that. Like, where would you put his, the pass rate? And so Pat, thank you for sharing your past attempts because I've, I've struggled with that big time. I, I still want to be in on Bateman year two. It was interesting, Pat. You just said that his uh, target spot run a lot higher with Jackson, about 19.5%. I just pulled up Marquise Brown three straight years over 20%. He actually went 20, 21, 22 in his three years in Baltimore. Was a good pick last year. But even that second season for him, a lot of people were targeting him in this range. And he was a pretty yeah. big disappointment because of the team level stuff, even though his target spot run were, were good. They were up over 21 percent his yards per out run strong that would be a step forward for Bateman the type of step forward you were just talking about um and and it's better than what he had even with Jackson in those splits it would be a, a pretty clear step forward it can still which, not which we need 
Yeah, and but that's that's the idea of a second year breakout to an extent is that you you would see a jump. And I think the 19% number is it's bullish in a sense, like he if he's at 19% this year, he's failed. Like straight up, he will sure. have a, a failure of a year if he's at 19%. But getting to like 22% from 15% or whatever he was at with Huntley is like that's a re- that's a really big leap that you need someone to make getting there from 19% where he was with Jackson is like much more realistic. So that's, that's why I think it, it makes me feel better, even yeah. though, yeah, he, he's definitely needs to take a step forward. It, but to, Pete, to get back to your point, um, I mean, I think I'm still comfortable getting Bateman. I just, I guess the way that I would argue it is I think he is a little bit overpriced and yet I still want to have exposure to these year two guys. There are scenarios as you've alluded to, where he's just really, really good. And that would impact their their pass rate. If Bateman is just that good, if they traded Marquise Brown because they actually saw something that we're not really seeing in the numbers, they took him in the first round last year. There are these, you know, these arguments, right? So um Judy and Metcalf are intriguing too, though. I mean it's uh, where did where did Judy land for you in the projections, Ben? I have not done Denver yet. I did do Seattle, and I'm I'm not optimistic on that cast projection. I I had a really hard time with uh, Jerry Judy and the Denver uh, wide receivers just projecting routes. Like, there's just not enough routes on that mm-hmm. team. Um, and <clears throat> they're talking about like the buzz right now is that Judy is not a starter in two wide receiver sets. Um, he would he would be starting probably out of the slot in three wide receiver sets. But uh, I also like don't. On the one hand, like that's bad, like <laughs> because you also have Hamler, you also have like I like Dulcich a lot, which you know maybe they they run some more two wide two tight two tight end sets, you know, and there there isn't it's quite as much eleven personnel, um, which which would hurt Judy if these reports are true. But on the other hand, like I think Judy might be their best receiver, so I don't want to get carried away with you know July personnel projections and stuff like. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with what to do with Judy. Judy's a hard one. And, you know, a couple pros for Judy would be one. Again, he gives us another really nice stacking candidate. You know, Russell Wilson's going about a round after Joe Burrow right now on FFPC. So that gives us another backstop if we miss out on Burrow. You also have kind of similar to the Gabe Davis, some pretty big contingent upside, right? Like if you know, Patrick mm-hmm. or Sutton got hurt and Judy really could kind of elevate to target hog as, as Russell Wilson's number one option. That's pretty tantalizing as well. But I do agree that um, it could be a little rocky otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you guys. I don't really know how to place the, the roles in that offense. There's probably upside regardless. There's, there's contingent upside for all of them. If you know, not everybody's healthy and and it's not as much of a log jam as we think. I'm also maybe just not completely sold on Judy as a talent yet, but he was pretty hurt last year. And and so I, you know, I wasn't really necessarily sold after his rookie year. And so um, that could, that could be one that I'm just wrong on. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to definitely hear pro arguments for him. I think the bull case for Judy would be there's optimism about, this offense. I mean, obviously Russell Wilson coming is a gigantic upgrade, but you're also seeing that optimism reflected in the fact that Sutton went in the the mid fourth here. And so there's like optimism and 
probably overconfidence in the way the targets break out. Uh, so to get Judy, who's like, I think probably like a very equal, like if we're just like projecting who's the better player, like Judy and Sutton to me, that feels super close. So to get him around after Sutton is pretty nice. Um, I think for me, Gabe Davis is is more intriguing, but Judy versus Bateman is definitely definitely tough. And I, I feel like I'm kind of like flipping coins there in, in best ball yeah. where I know I can get them both, um, you know, over a large portfolio. Are you guys pretty out on Metcalf just because like you feel like his price might fall even more? Well, they're not getting Baker. So yeah. what's happening, you know? I I think losing that out is is a big deal. Yeah. And and I I mean again I the similar kind of thing I do with the underdog. I mean, I'm viewing this tournament through like who can put up a couple 30 point weeks, weeks 15 through 17, and it just feels like Gabe Bateman and Judy are all better candidates to do that than whoever's throwing DK Metcalf the ball. I mean, we know he's capable of it right. as a player, but man, that it's it's the reason he's going here in the first place. But it's almost like I don't think it's a bad value per se. But man, I just uh, the way we're going to load our team up with wide receivers. He's another one that just feels like it's just like whatever breakout guy we take later. You know, our, our Elijah Moore, our Drake Ludden. It feels like by the end of the season, we're just for sure starting that guy over DK Metcalf. Well, like DK Metcalf's good weeks are going to be like four eighty and two, right? Like they're. You know what I mean? Like you're just kind of. I, I don't think we're getting any uh, any kind of like, you know, eight for 120 and one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that seems hard. Um, I I actually have to uh to get running. I have a a call I forgot about. Um, but I felt like this was a good discussion. It seems like we've definitely landed on Gabe Davis here, and um, you know, maybe we can we'll have a little final combo if if Gabe does go and we need to decide between. Bateman and Judy, but feeling good about this one. And uh, I like how this team is shaping up, guys. Definitely. Me too. Um, all right, guys. If you are listening to the audio version of this, you can get access to the video ones by becoming a Ship Chasing member. YouTube member also gets you access to our Discord. We will see you guys when we are on the clock for our sixth round pick. Peace. <laughs>